prosecution outlined how accounting practices what fuck? What? did not What kind of likeness is that? If they were great artists, they'd be in a museum. I'm fucking fodder for cartoonists now. Time to ring the dinner bell because it's another episode of Gutter Boys. Gutter Boys is a small press comics podcast about the ins, the outs, the highs, and the very deep, endless lows of making comics. I'm your host, JB, with my co-host, Cam. On today's episode, episode 68. On today's episode, episode 68, we're joined with Bianca Zunis, Chicago-based cartoonist, known for their autobio work, contributor to Six Chicks, the nationally syndicated cartoon strip, recent MCA-exhibited artist... Very fancy. And uh, their personal column, which they contribute to, at Sean DeLand. It was really nice having Bianca on, making huge strides in the cartooning world over the last five years. Uh, So we get to uh, catch up a little bit and talk about what they've been up to, including their upcoming book, which we go into uh, quite a bit of detail. I was actually kind of surprised how much we were able to talk about uh, that book. But uh, yeah, great interview. Uh, But before we get into that, we do have some news and shout outs. Yeah, so for news, I didn't feel like doing any work and uh, preparing, so I uh, polled our faithful listeners, and uh, we're just going to do a rapid-fire news segment here, okay? I'm going to fire these off, get your thoughts. We're going to keep it short, because we got shout-outs, okay? All right, uh, Reed Ginter Jr. Uh, I, don't, I don't know how to read your name, bro. Comic Buck 2 is live, looking for great content. Check out... Nope, you're not getting me here. You can uh, subscribe to our advertising tier on Patreon for $12 a month at gutterboys.top. <laughs> All right, friend of the show, Alexis Zero. Almost Zirin. got you. <laughs> almost. A for effort. Alexis Zero asked, "The return of that shit called Saga." Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, no, yeah, I'm good. Yeah, uh, I'm good on that. What is it about? Some furries having some babies in space? I think. I, I don't. I don't know. Yeah. The death of the Justice League issue. What is that? Like the ninth time they've done that yeah, this year? I, I saw someone post a story. He's like, this better not be another fake out. I was like, are you kidding? Have you read yeah. DC before? <laughs> <laughs> like, Damn. They really got you guys. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Big Rob. The death of NFT. Batman for the yeah. ninth time. Yeah. The death of Robin. We'll just create another one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> There's God. like 14 Robins now. Yeah, they'll hire another Russian to work yeah. on that one. Yeah, Gleb said that he was uh, done. He uh, finished his last issue, so. Oh, hell yeah. Good run. It'll probably be out in a couple months, but. Uh, yeah. Well, I yeah. saw they released some figures of his design. I was like, man, that motherfucker's not getting a single cut from that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Unfortunate, sad, but true, but yeah. 
Uh, let's see. Uh, Scott JHPDX, Big Rob's NFT bullshit. Uh, we covered this with Pat Rooks on the Patreon. Oh, that's right. Yep. So, uh, yeah, I mean, we think it's bullshit, but if you want to hear us go in depth with the boy, patreon.com forward slash gutterboys or gutterboys.top. Uh, we then have Patreon member Clusterfox Comics, IDW officially lost the license to Transformers and G.I. Joe, image to take over both now. Hey, shout out to our boy Aubrey Sitterson. Yeah. Uh, he played the long game and he won, folks. Yeah. And that's, that's how the West was won. Gotta be honest, you know, I don't really give a shit about Transformers or G.I. Joe. Um, you know, that's cool if you do. It's just, you know, not franchises I was attached to growing up. I do think Image is going to make better comics than IDW did with them, though. I mean, IDW did in their defense, like they put Seoli on one of those books. FIFA got a run as well. Those were cool, but I feel like for the most part, uh, those books were forgettable. Not their books, but, you know, yeah. the, the books that were running for years. And, you know, the only reason why that even happened is because one editor, fought tooth and nail to get some new blood in that was yes. that was it that was completely it so uh-huh. yeah idw not very creative when it comes to figuring out their uh their books and and who to put them on yeah that said let daniel irizari draw star trek over at idw everybody on twitter saying it heather antos ignoring it heather i know you see it because i know you're you know glued to them mentions she's ignoring the tweets like they're her emails ignoring the people Mm -mm -mm. Mm. uh then we have uh nsla (laughs) instagram user (laughs) nsla uh they uh they said jordan crane's book coming out in march 20 years in the making do you know anything about this cam uh shout out jordan crane i read uh that book uptight there were single issues of that i heard about this and you know i didn't know that jordan's been working on a book for 20 years but apparently it's come out as floppies i haven't seen it so i'm just gonna go ahead and wait for the book he's a good cartoonist i look forward to it all right and then friend of the show future guest mark cram backward uh looks like uh, i think someone working freelance was calling out vault for payment issues forgot who not surprised yeah, at all. No way. Uh, you don't say. <laughs> yeah, right. Yep. Water is wet. Grass yeah. is green. Moving hey, on. I got. I got. I got. I got to ask you something, buddy, uh, about your boy over at Vault. Did you see Trey's new comic? Uh, no, I did not. Okay. Um, you know, peace and love to Trey, but uh, I'm about to have to cook this man. Okay. <laughs> so. He would probably appreciate getting cooked on the show. Honestly, <laughs> if there's anybody that I know that's even remotely attached to the Vault name, it would be him. Uh huh. All right. Well, uh, he's doing this book called We Ride Titans, and yeah, which I think he's been doing that on and off for a while now. Maybe oh, I'm okay. getting so, maybe I'm getting his books mixed up. I don't know. I'm really bad keeping track of this shit. Yeah. Well, it's like a Pacific Rim type looking book, right? But um, uh, Vault's putting it out. But um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know about Trey's like uh, long love for the Rock or whatever. Like, yeah, he loves, he loves the Rock. The rock right? Yeah. So the main character's name, well, not the main character, but the father's name in the book is Dwayne Hobbs, <laughs> <laughs> nice. and he looks just like the Rock with a beard. Oh, very uh, good. Get a nice lawsuit from Dwayne. <laughs> yeah, but he's in a wheelchair. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. And uh, so you know, the book at least has the Rock in it. It's got that star power. <laughs> But uh, very good, very good. Yeah. That said, the uh, in the first issue, the character is a uh, lesbian woman of color who is the daughter of a disabled black man. So uh, Trey's doing a little bit of pandering there, in my opinion. <laughs> hey, to be fair, 
Um, I'm sure that that was workshopped in some kind of board meeting. Editing circle. That yeah. It didn't, yeah. Yeah. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, I, I'm all for inclusion in comics, but like that just checks literally all the boxes right there. <laughs> yeah. Like, boom, boom, well, boom, also, boom, boom, down I mean, the line. <laughs> and again, this is not a criticism of Trace. Yeah. No, no, but, no, no, no. I was just, uh, I'm, this is, I was bringing up Vault and like well, that. Yeah. Book. Right. Yeah. I mean, this is across the board for all comics right now. Uh-huh. Uh, it will like uh, direct to market yeah. is uh, representation doesn't mean just making your characters X, Y, and Z. It Which also is kind includes... of what this feels like, though. I don't. I'm not yeah, gonna lie. That's, yeah. What I mean is like you know, I'd imagine inclusion would be hiring those people instead yes. of just writing about them in stories. Yes. But uh, what do I know? You know, I don't know anything. I guess. Yeah. Instagram user Andre Dos Madocas. They bring up Alex Graham's new Fanographics edition of Dog Biscuits, which will be a huge, vast improvement of the previous edition, I hear. Uh, great Mostly cover. because, yes, the cover is very good. And also, uh, let's just say a certain dimwit is not mentioned at all <laughs> in, in the... <laughs> In the praises and shout outs for this book. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that's like right there. Uh, huge leaps and bounds better. Mm. <laughs> You're going there. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, <laughs> if you know, you know. Yeah. Andre also followed up and said Rob Liefeld's NFT comic. You know yep. where to find that. Oh, yeah. Johnny Ryan doing NFTs. Yep. Not surprised. Like, I, I didn't think it was going to happen, but I'm not surprised. And I mean, you know, NFTs fucking suck. It's a disappointment. But I mean, I don't really think Johnny Ryan's attached to our community. No, no. In any way to where... I, I mean, I, for one, am looking forward to NFT images of monkeys wearing shirts that say the N-word. That's definitely <laughs> going to be a, a very valuable uh, crypto item in the very yeah. near future, I think. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I uh, saw a tweet that was like, you know, people were expressing their displeasure with Johnny about this. And uh, I'm not going to, you know, say who it was, but somebody was on the timeline saying, like, if you knew who he was, like, this is not surprising at all. And then another famous cartoonist who I think listens to this show said, I always like, you know, found his work like clever and uh, funny. And the reply to that was, well, clever and smart aren't the same. And mm. I thought that that right there was this situation in a nutshell. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. yeah. I wonder, uh, is Nickelodeon fronting the bill for this? Because, uh, you know, you have to, quote unquote, mint your NFTs and that costs quite a bit of money. Like actual yeah. real money. We're not talking about make-believe Monopoly coin fucking mm-hmm. digital currency nonsense. I'm talking about real money here. Yeah. Somebody was throwing figures around in a Discord saying Johnny only made like six grand in a day. I, well, at the time that I read yeah. that message, I haven't been in the Discord but that much. Is that, again, is that six grand in actual money or six grand in make-believe money? Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, is it this? Yeah, exactly. it's not real money. I don't care. I mean, look, I get it. Someone that's really into crypto is listening to this and getting really mad. Look, your make-believe currency might have some kind of perceived value, even though there's like multiple articles outlining how it's very, very difficult to actually get that money out of those accounts to actually transfer it over to make it, you know, worth something so you can actually do something with it instead of just, I don't know, holding a digital wallet with Bitcoin in it and it doesn't mean anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm hard pressed to believe that he's even making that much money, in, like in real world money, not again, not crypto shit. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, I don't really know. What to? I mean, it just seems like you know another one bites the dust. It's gonna keep yep. happening. You're gonna keep getting disappointed. Yep. Don't meet your heroes. 
You know, I mean, to be fair, if anybody has Johnny Ryan listed as a hero, I don't. <laughs> Drug dogs, don't really, what up? <laughs> I don't really think there's much that can be done about that. Uh, to be honest, like, yeah, I I enjoy his strips because they're funny. But yeah, right, I mean, right. I, like I also, comics. I mean, I also enjoy fucking fart jokes. So like, I it doesn't really say much about my taste. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I, I do think, you know, like, I'm not, like I said, not surprised. Another one bites the dust. It is what it is at this point. The thing is, is I think NFTs are becoming somewhat of like a cultural norm to where like, uh, I don't know if they're like going to be permanent at this point, but it seems like they're sticking around longer than I initially gave them credit for. And it sucks dick. <laughs> yeah, they, they got second wind because uh, corporations got behind it. Yeah. Which, hmm, funny how that works. Right. Hmm. Wonder why that is. <laughs> anyway, uh, moving on, we have Instagram user Blues Drive Monster ninety five Gordon Pavel breakdown. I don't. Uh, what do you? What does this mean? I don't know. I literally Googled Gordon Pavel and uh, nothing. Like you know, I'm finding some dude's LinkedIn profile. All right. So, uh, but LinkedIn, hang on, folks. We're gonna we're gonna look up uh, Twitter real quick. Oh, okay. Real in real time. In real time, I'm gonna search Gordon Pavel, and if nothing comes up, then this is an L for news. Peace and love, you know, but um, this was a, a bad scoop because nothing's coming up. Uh, so I don't know what's going on with Gordon Pavel, but if you want to let us know, DM us and we'll follow up next episode. So, uh, right. yeah, you want to get into shout outs? That does it for rapid fire news. Yeah. So shout outs. Uh, this uh, this isn't even covering all of them because we still have more to cover, which we'll we'll do that in the next intro. We promise. I know we're we've been a little behind with these. Um, we just get too much love, guys. We survived COVID. You should bear with us, okay, people? No, we've been behind, but yeah, uh, yeah that said, we're going to go ahead and get this first round out of the way and uh, keep sending us stuff. If you do want to send us stuff, DM me at Cam Del Rosario, or you can DM the show account at Gutter Boys Pod. We will get back to you eventually. And if you don't have Instagram, you can uh, email us at gutterboyspodcast at gmail.com. Uh, let's see. We have a uh, first shout out here. We have uh, Bitter Wolf and IP Farm. They don't have their name listed, but uh, you can find them on Instagram at Art School Comics. Uh, some very, very dirty comics here, uh, but uh, very well done. Really cool reso printing and uh, nice character design. Yeah, it, it's fun. It's fun. Yeah. And then, of course, longtime listener, Clusterfucks Comics. Uh, they brought over issue three to our doorstep which is always appreciated. Uh, multiple different artists on here, as usual, and uh, another solid pickup. Yeah, they advertise with the show, and uh, you could find them on Instagram and get a copy at Comics, X's in comics and fucks. And then uh, Stephen Arnold, at Pillow Talk 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 on Instagram, out in Philly, sent us a stack of comics, issues of Swamp Parade and Heel on the Shovel, as well as The Death of B-Man. Uh, really great stuff. Um, I'm sure there's a couple cartoons working in one of these issues in uh, Swamp Parade. Steven's making some really uh, exciting work. Uh, he posts in the Discord and uh, stuff he posts online. I actually find myself looking at on Instagram and uh, one of my favorite follows on there. Again, his Instagram is at Pillow Talk Talk Talk. Uh, give him a follow and thanks for sending stuff over. Uh, we also got a package from Will Schreitz. Also sent us some comics. We got Casper and Fauntleroy and Wild Comics. Uh, definitely make sure to check out his work. You can find him online at Will Schreitz. W-I-L-L-S-C-H-R-E-I. TZ. All right. And this one landed in our best of 2021 list. Uh, friend of the show, good old Chicago boy, Mike Centino, uh, sent over his latest issue of Feudal. 
Uh, issue number eight. He was even nice enough to include a personal drawing to both of us of uh, the boys, Christopher Maltasanti and Bobby Baclieri. We really appreciate it. Those two are the original gutter boys, so props to them. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> but the issue itself, amazing. I mean... The best issue that Mike's done, in my opinion. Yes, and Mike keeps getting better and better mm-hmm. with every passing issue that he does, anything that he works on. Uh, I'm really excited uh, to see what he has in store for 2022. Just an amazing cartoonist all around, and also a real sweetheart. Love yeah, that boy. Absolutely. He also included a note. Thanks for the hours of entertainment and shithousery. Keep it gutter, boys. Incredible issue. Uh, you know, on our year end list, a great story about a professor and his family and wanting to relocate and the complications that come up with that, both personally and, uh, you know, with the reality of the situation. Uh, tremendous cartooning in the book. I can't recommend this enough. You could definitely get a copy from him. Uh, follow him on Instagram at Mike underscore Centino. And then last shout out, I got my copy of Floating World Comics Night Hunters by friends of the show, Alexis Zirit and Dave Baker. Uh, if you slept on it last year, I feel bad for you. But don't worry, <laughs> you can still pick up a copy this year through Floating World Comics. Uh, I believe it should be hitting stands now. If not, I would pester my local comic shop, see if you can get yourself a copy that way. Um, I'm sure they're still available, but yeah, I mean, Alexis is, is still fucking banging it out. I feel like this is, in a lot of ways, a spiritual successor to space writers in terms of style. A lot of hallmarks of what we've come to know about Alexis Eret's art. Dystopian future, uh, robots, uh, crazy cyborg hitmen, all the goods. Check it out. And what could be his second to last comic, if you recall our uh, failed Patreon episode. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yes. Yes. There's a scoop for the listeners. Yeah. So, hey, if we lose Alexis, uh, that's on comics. Uh, yeah. You know, it's to be perfectly honest, I, I don't understand why anyone would continue to make comics if you can just not do it and make a living. I, I just I, I can understand maybe it's not something zero really wants to put up with and he's got a family to feed yada yada it is what it is but if you want to convince alexis to keep making art keep making comics specifically put your money where your mouth is right pick up these books but also uh, harass the big publishers harass the editors let them know uh, they got to stop undervaluing art uh, because if they continue to do that before you know it we're not going to have anyone worth two shits uh drawing this stuff and everything's just going to kind of look the same which, you know, kind of already is the case for certain uh, publishers. Uh, I won't name names. We all know. But, um, yeah, it's real sad to hear. If Alexis does, in fact, leave comics, that would be a, a big, big loss, in my opinion. Yeah. And uh, not to bum you all out, so let's talk about something happy. February is our third anniversary. So if you've been with us uh, at any point during the ride, thank you so much. If you've been there since day one, we know who you are. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, that said, uh, because capitalism and to celebrate our anniversary on our off weeks on the main feed in February, we are going to upload Patreon episodes from the vault. 
as selected by our patrons, and uh, they will be uploaded in full instead of just the uh, little preview. So if you are not a Patreon subscriber, you will get four episodes the month of February to celebrate our anniversary, and also as a preview to try and get you to subscribe to our Patreon at gutterboys.top or patreon.com forward slash gutterboys. $5 gets you bonus episodes, $10 gets you zines, $12 if you want to advertise on the show, those little commercials you hear, you can make one or we can make one for you for just $12 a month. Uh, So yeah, that's where all the action goes down. It uh, keeps our lights on to an extent, and we appreciate making the content. And, uh, you know, if we're able to hit a certain amount on there, we might go weekly with guests and, you know, all kinds of things with the show. So, yeah, we appreciate you being around. Thank you all. And, uh, yeah, as a gift to our non-patrons, look forward to that next month. Yeah, if we uh, if we didn't have the support that we have currently and continue to have, uh, I don't know if uh, if this pod would have lasted as long as it has. Nah. Nah. I think we could, we would have gotten <laughs> bored or frustrated with spending as much time as we do on this. So, uh, you know, thank you for keeping the pod alive and uh, making me edit nine hours a week. It's, uh, yeah. it's really something. Never expected mm-hmm. to become a, an audio editor after all these years, but hey, it is what it is. Yeah. And if you're uh, trying to hire JB and pay him an absurd amount of money to edit your podcast, DM him. He might tell you no, but... There's always price. <laughs> Very high likelihood I'll say no. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how much podcast editors make. I don't know. hundred bucks an episode. Maybe. That'd be terrible, actually. Wait, well, yeah, for nine hours? I yeah. don't know. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Look, if you're just like rolling in podcast money, all right, we can talk. Or you just have, I don't know, a slush fund or something. Yeah, hit me up. But yeah, I, I, I don't know why I just uh, put that out there. I was just fucking around. Just just spitballing, brother. I feel you. Oh, oh, uh, real quick. This is real. I have a second printing of Vacation 3. You don't have to read Vacation 1 or 2 to get this. It's a self-contained story. You can buy that at my big cartel at camdelrosario.bigcartel.com. Sorry, had to get that shit in there. All good, all good. Also, if you were interested in a commission, my commissions are now closed for this month. I I had to take a brief break due to some uh, personal stuff, but uh, I'll be back on the horse pumping out those commissions that I owe. So if you're listening to this and you purchased one, don't worry, it'll be done by the end of this month. And uh, I'll probably do another round of commissions sometime in late February. So if if you still wanted one but missed out on this boat, uh, don't worry. You'll get another shot at it. Hell yeah. But uh, enough shilling for uh, for one episode. I, I guess we're ready for uh, Bianca. Uh, so we're going to take a quick break. And when we return, we will be joined by uh, the one and only uh, Bianca Zunis. So stick around. We'll be right back. Tired of the same old comics? Why not try Clusterfucks Comics instead? Clusterfucks Comics is a black and white anthology comic zine featuring some of the best underground comics creators today. Creators like Adam Uter, Brian Judge, Isaac Roller, Cameron Zavala, Miguel Aguilar, Dylan Henty, Jared Cody Wolf, Paparotti, Umberto Tanella, Matthew Grant, and so many more. You haven't heard of any of those people? Well, fuck you! Grab a copy and discover their amazingness today, you uncultured swine. The first three issues are available now, with the fourth issue debuting in April. So go grab your copy today at camiscomiccorner.com slash comics with an X, or follow them on Instagram at clusterfuckscomics. Clusterfuckscomics. Comics you can clusterfucks with. Comics you can clusterfucks with. 
Rust Belt Review is a quarterly comics lit magazine featuring serialized and short form comics from some of the most exciting cartoonists in the small press scene today. Volume 1 features work from Gutter alums, M.S. Harkness, Audra Stang, and Caleb Arecchio, along with work by Andrew Greenstone, Sean Knickerbocker, and Juan Jose Fernandez. You can order your copy of Rust Belt Review today by going to rustbeltreview.org. Enter in promo code GUTTER to receive two bucks off your order. Again, that website is rustbeltreview.org. Promo code GUTTER. The Last Aviatrix is a post-nuclear adventure comic by independent Los Angeles-based cartoonist Buster Cagle. The story follows Summer, our last aviatrix, who pilots the sole surviving airplane, a nuclear-powered B-29, as she travels the ruined world finding ways to survive and help humanity while dealing with the eminent threat of the Atomborn, a rare breed of atomic wizards that want to see her out of the sky. Her mission becomes complicated when she accidentally picks up Henry, an Atomborn child who wields incredible power, and Clementine, a berserker on a quest for vengeance. Can our aviatrix survive this ruined and irradiated waste Land? Every issue can be read for free on BusterCagle.com slash comics. Paper copies can be ordered as well, but, you know, you can still read it for free. If you like Wizards or Warplanes, go check it out. The Last Aviatrix is a post-nuclear adventure comic by independent Los Angeles-based cartoonist Buster Cagle. The story follows Summer, our last aviatrix, who pilots the sole surviving airplane, a nuclear-powered B-29, as she travels the ruined world finding ways to survive and help humanity while dealing with the eminent threat of the Atomborn, a rare breed of atomic wizards that want to see her out of the sky. Her mission becomes complicated when she accidentally picks up Henry, an Atomborn child who wields incredible power, and Clementine, a berserker on a quest for vengeance. Can our aviatrix survive this ruined and irradiated way Land? Every issue can be read for free on BusterCagle.com slash comics. Paper copies can be ordered as well, but, you know, you can still read it for free. If you like Wizards or Warplanes, go check it out. Now, back to our program. Okay, welcome back from the break. Uh, we are now joined with a Chicago-based cartoonist, Bianca Zunis. Bianca, how are you doing? I am doing okay. I got some LaCroix with me, so I think, um, I think I'm hanging on. Hell yeah, what flavor? Um, plain, because I'm, I'm adventurous. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> I don't think I know anybody that actively drinks the plain one. Oh, yeah, me either favorite i love it's pure i mean maybe maybe because i'm like a virgo and so it kind of just goes with like you know just my hannibal Lecter, you know psycho killer essence that i just like plain flavor but yeah that's a truly unhinged you, drink right there do you hit it with a uh, like a spritz of lemon or lime or like fruit or anything no i just like the raw dog it like just go okay. straight up plain <laughs> Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, some of the other ones, I feel like they fixed them, but I feel like they used to taste like perfume. Either they yeah, used yeah, to uh-huh. taste like perfume, or I finally aged into the age where LaCroix tastes good. I don't I know. I think it's a mixture of both. A mixture of both. Yeah, yeah. it's definitely <laughs> yeah. both. Yeah, there's some that are like really potent in a weird way. Like, I like the coconut, but I can understand why nobody would want that. Yeah. It's like suntan lotion. Drinking yeah, suntan yeah, yeah, lotion. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which is, I'm, I'm game for that for some reason. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's definitely the drink of, like, you know, aunties. At least in the Midwest, it was. I know, like, it became, like, a cool hipster thing that everybody was, like, trying to be, like, La Croix or La Crux, and that really annoys me. It's from from Wisconsin. It's La Croix. I totally thought that shit was from France until somebody told me that. (laughs) Nah. (laughs) They got you. They got me, yeah. Nah. Yeah. (laughs) Midwest, baby. Now, uh, listeners are probably familiar with Bianca. I believe, what was it? 2020, when uh, uh, you were making the rounds and all the media outlets uh, on the news. Oh, yeah. Uh, And it was was about a lot of folks getting pretty mad for some reason. Well, we actually know the reason, but we'll we'll get into that later here. But uh, it was a strip that you did uh, for uh, Six Chicks, uh, Mm -hmm. which is... uh, how, How would you describe Six Chicks? Six Chicks is sort of like a anthology or like a collaborative newspaper strip. Um, and it's me split with five other cartoonists and we each take a day of the week. So it's not necessarily like, you know, like Calvin and Hobbes right. or Baby Blues where it's like a continual story. It's literally just like every day of the week. There's like another one panel gag. It's almost kind of like a, like a calendar, comic calendar, like a yeah. far-sighted calendar where it's just like each yeah. day is another gag. Yeah. Um, and we don't even, we like don't even discuss beforehand. We kind of just all go at it. A lot of the other women who are a part of the strip have been in it for years. When I joined, we were hitting our 20th year that the strip has been in syndication. Oh, So they've shit. been doing it for a while. I'm like one of the young bloods. That's a part of it, along with like uh, Maritza. And that's nationally syndicated. So that's going out everywhere, which is likely why uh, this news story got picked up. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's going right to your grandparents' house. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, that explains a lot, considering the news story. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, now, on top of that, uh, you know, before we get really into that, you being syndicated through uh, this strip, that makes you the second black cartoonist to be nationally syndicated in the U.S. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah, that <laughs> is <laughs> weird. Though. So, unfortunately, you're not the first. Or fortunately, I guess, because it is technically 2022. <laughs> yeah, there should now, be way more. There should um, be, yeah. So, when it's, I say it's, it's tight, I don't mean that it's tight. There's only been two. I mean, it's tight that <laughs> you were able to, you know, have that distinction. But really, in the grand scheme of things, it's not. But, you know. Yeah, when I saw that, I was actually very shocked that that well, was yeah, the case. Well, yeah, I'm the first one that, you know, that was assigned female at birth. I were the second one that was assigned female at birth. There's still okay. plenty of black dudes, you know, going at it. I mean, we have like boondocks and all types of stuff, nationally syndicated cartoons. It's just me, before me was Barbara Brandon Croft. Right. Okay. Right. Okay. Okay. Uh, still, second seems like a very, it's a low bar, I feel we're like, in, in the grand scheme of this. <laughs> <laughs> of this country, but that's fine. Whatever. Second city, baby. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> hey, Chicago, what's up? I'm going to throw up. It's wintertime, so I'm very like pro Midwestern this time of the year. Hey, I can understand it. I mean, I miss Chicago. So I, yeah. I get it. I get it. <laughs> uh, now, this uh, this cartoon in question, uh, it was uh, actually featured in uh, pretty predominantly, I would say, in the recent, well, the uh, big art exhibition that was featured at the MCA last mm-hmm. year. With you, along with 40-plus other cartoonists, all from Chicago, including, you know, some pretty big heavy hitters, Chris Ware, Dan Klaus, uh, Ivan Bernetti. The the list is pretty uh, extensive. Yeah, yeah. One of the first images I saw uh, of this exhibit was that exact same cartoon that got the the said press. Uh, So, I guess, you know, if you're listening to this and you're not familiar with what happened, basically, it was a strip that you had done featuring uh, you and an older uh, white woman, and you were, uh, it looks like you 
were shopping at, at like mm-hmm. a at like a grocery store. Grocery and, store, uh, yeah. I got my baguette. Yes, and uh, <laughs> you are wearing a mask, and you also have a T-shirt that says "I can't breathe." And uh, the uh, woman turns to you and says, "If you can't breathe, then take the silly mask off." Yep. After this ran through syndication, there was a pretty vocal backlash towards this particular cartoon, louder more so than I think I've ever seen for a uh, cartoon strip of recent memory. I believe one outlet in particular, in place of the cartoon, ran an apology, (laughs) which is wild. It was (laughs) basically saying, we're sorry we posted this offensive cartoon. I don't even know. I, I, I don't remember what a uh, shitty fucking rag that was, but it, it was it, based out of um, California. That doesn't surprise me. Yeah, yeah, that doesn't surprise <laughs> me. Uh, but uh, I think that actually kind of worked in your favor in terms of how much press that got, because of all the pissing and moaning, it got more yeah. eyes on your work. It actually <laughs> yeah. did you a solid. <laughs> yeah, that was a that was a weird time um, of like you know global you know distress mixed with like this comic going around everywhere. Lots of feelings. But yeah, I mean, you know, I'm a punk person, so to get canceled or at least get to get banned out of a, a newspaper, I was like, hell yeah, that goes right onto the punk cred. I no longer have to name all the bands anymore. I got banned out of a whole state. <laughs> yeah, so 100%, yeah. fight me. <laughs> Uh, Now, you've been published through various other outlets. The Nib, for example, is one that I've seen a bunch of your work on. Uh, You predominantly do a lot of these editorial cartoons, but you've also done some autobio work. Uh, So, let's talk a little bit about that. Uh, So, what got you sort of started into making comics in the first place? What sort of uh, pulled that light bulb string and said, hey, I think this is something I want to continue doing? Um, well, I feel like, you know, for a lot of us, we probably have all been drawing since we were kids. Um, that's kind of how I expressed myself as a child. And also, like, my mom had, you know, the ambitions of being part, like, doing, like, National Lampoon and Mad Magazine, like, in the 70s. And then she ended up going into textile art instead. But she's always drew. And so, like, whenever we got, like, chore lists or, you know, like, oh, this is what you're going to do on Saturday versus watching, you know, Beavis and Butthead all day, like, she would draw them out. I think it was, like, part of her way, like, you know, the blow wasn't as hard if you saw yourself raking the leaves as a cartoon versus just a note that says rake the leaves. <laughs> and that was just kind of a way that me and my family communicated. And I think that was something that stuck to me of like, oh, this is a way that I can express myself and get my point across, especially since a lot of my work tends to skew um, more political and deals with lots of different themes and nuanced perspectives coming from, you know, a non-binary Black person in America. And, you know, with that, it's just kind of my way of, like, expressing myself and getting my voice out there. But, like, through a comic, like, my art is cute. I'm, I'm like, comfortable with that. I'm, like, it's cute by design. And, you know, you're, like, looking at this comic, for instance, the one in the newspaper, and you're like, oh, what are these two ladies chatting about? And then, you know, you get hit by, like, eight different stances in one sentence. And that's kind of, like, my overall goal in my work is to, to be unassuming and then to kick you right in between the legs. Like, that's kind of what I want to give you that shock. I want to give you that, like, oh, whoa, wait, let me, let me unpack this. And... You know, the person who pushed me to take my comics beyond just in my diary, like just, I was, 
you know, always the kid who was, you know, drawing my friends' crushes in high school and all so they could tape them in their locker and things like that. Like, I like was always drawing, but it became like, a, oh, I can do this as a job job or like a, fr- not, maybe not so much as a job, but like as like a, as an art form. Mm-hmm. From Jeremy Tinder, I was his teaching assistant um, when I was in college at the Marwin Foundation, which is a after-school art program in Chicago. Um, I went there as a kid. It like serves you know underprivileged youth, um, mostly black and brown kids are going to that place. A lot of my friends that I still have today, we all started going to Marwin. And when you go to college, they're like, oh yeah, you can come, you know come have a after college job if you want. And so they like let you give back. And they were like, hey, Bianca, you were always drawing. Let's set you up with Jeremy. And I was like, sure. I never took comics classes. Like I never did any of that. I just kind of was in his class as he was teaching sixth graders and like taking notes for myself. And it like kind of really, really moved me. And I kind of took him aside and was like, hey, man, like I really like what you're teaching this class and you know I know I'm like helping these kids with their illustration but like how, how do you do comics and he literally was just like just put them online like that was what I was doing I just would scan my sketchbooks I'm like the largest scanner known to man because this was like 2000 and uh, uh, 2000 and like seven I think mm. oh yeah still like old technology here so like I'm like scanning stuff and then putting it into Photoshop and you know fixing the colors and putting it on blogger and that's kind of where things started is I just was posting my art um, blogger about being a college student, slice of life type of stuff. I've always loved slice of life. Again, like Chicago, Chicago artists. So like I, there's so many different Chicago cartoonists that particularly white and male that I was consuming in college and I never saw myself in those comics. And so I was like, oh, I'm going to sort of mimic what I'm seeing and, you know, try this format of putting myself out there. And definitely the biggest push to do this was seeing Lucy Nisley's work. French Milk had just come out and Jeremy recommended that one to me. And that was like kind of like the been drawn ever since. Mm, that's that's what uh, a switch was flipped. Yeah. So before we move away from that, I want to kind of talk about, you know, your nationally syndicated work. So, of course, we just covered how, you know, you got a lot of heat for that. Now, that said, like, do you have a lot of editorial pushback since this is operating on like a national scale or do they pretty much let you do whatever you want? Like, and I don't want to get you in trouble. So if you can't talk about this, that's totally fine. But like, do you find that it's something that editorial like pushes a lot on since you're operating at such a large level or are you surprised by how much freedom you get? I don't think I'm surprised by how much freedom I get. I feel like I've earned the freedom that I have. Like, I've worked really hard to be at this position um, of cartooning. I've been doing this for, like, a really long time. Just Mm -hmm. my name has just become familiar right now. So, sometimes that kind of seems like, oh, you kind of came out of nowhere. It's like, no, I've been just, you know, social media, you know, blows people up and all types of things. It puts information in your lap, but doesn't mean people weren't always doing something behind the scenes. And when I got the position at Six Chicks, before I was doing that, I, I got offered um, just to do one comic for Popeye, because um, that's also the uh, syndicate that I work for also publishes Popeye. Oh, and cool. it was there, it was up there. I think it was like the 95th anniversary of Popeye or okay. 75th. Damn, yeah. I really feel like it was like up in the 90s. Like Popeye's quite, quite old. And yeah. they had me draw one. And I was like, hell yeah. Like, I love olive oil. My mom used to call me olive oil growing up. So I was like, this is is great. (laughs) And like, I, you know, did a bit about, you know, olive oil being part of like the great spinach bake off. And she used the spinach to make this cake and everybody loves it. And um, there's no Popeye at all. I decided not to. I just had 
Olive Oil and Wimpy, because those were my favorite characters. That kicks ass. Was this uh, in the paper, or was this like the IDW reboot? This is in the paper. Oh, okay, cool. I didn't know Popeye was still doing the paper. That's sick. And so, after that, with the whole Syndicate game, like, if anybody's listening, they're like, oh, how do I get into the Syndicate game? You kind of have to wait for somebody to die, or (laughs) (laughs) to retire. Like, people will do this until their, you know, bones turn to dust, and they can't draw anymore. Um, It's a pretty, you know, it's a consistent gig. Yeah, and you get to talk this story you get to tell a story for as long as you want to do you think that's a, the appeal and that's why people stay so long or is it you know the pay like what is it that is it the security of it because i mean you know comics like indie comics are such like an insecure it's such an insecure field when it comes to you know making sure that you can make a living and so forth whereas you know a, a nationally syndicated cartooning gig like that's like man i hit the big time you know like this is <laughs> yeah financial stability is rare i don't you know? yeah. think there's any sort of big time in comics financially i feel I like agree. if you yeah. <laughs> Sure, yeah. If money is something that is very important to you, you probably shouldn't get into comics, at least not on the on the front end of being an artist. Maybe you should do like back end stuff where you get to sit at a desk. It's so funny you say that because like we talk to so many different people at different points in their career here. And like, you know, arguably, you know, you're doing one of the things that, you know, is so incredible when it comes to being serialized weekly with so many, you know, eyes on your work. That's just such an incredible thing. So it's so funny to hear you say, oh, there's no money in this because like everybody we talk to, no matter where they're at in the career, oh, there's no money in this. No, no. (laughs) I mean, and that's, I mean, it's, it's a shame that, you know, our world is structured in a capitalistic way. And so money is, it's what runs the world. But at the same time, like, you know, I always tell my students, if money is very important to you, and if money is, you know, riches and wealth, and all those things is something that you deeply value, then being an artist may not necessarily be the career path for you. Because I feel like art isn't necessarily made to, we've gotten to this place where we have like content creators, and like art has become content, um, and it becomes passive. Um, and we've been pushing towards a way of where we don't necessarily appreciate art, especially in America over the past, I want to say the past two decades. You know, we've started taking yeah. art programs out of public schools. Art colleges become extremely more expensive. Some art colleges have even shut down. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Art is not appreciated in our culture unless you can market it and make money off of it. And then when you start attaching a monetary value to art, then people see like, oh, maybe now it has worth. Mm. But if you're just doing this because it's just who you are, because I know a lot of artists like, like even if everybody stopped paying attention to what I'm doing, I would still continue to draw because it's just... It's my it's my voice, it's my language, it's the way I speak. And it's this kind of one of those things where to be an artist, you need to be able to do it whether or not you have an audience. And if, if the audience is what drives you and the money is what drives you, then go be an actor or do something else. Like do something else where there's like, you know, an influencer where you get to have both attention and money. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it sucks though. I feel like as a cartoonist, we want the bare minimum and that bare minimum being being able to support ourselves, you know, pay rent, mm-hmm. pay food, yeah. right? <laughs> fucking get the bills paid in general. Yeah. And even that low watermark is still very difficult to get past for a lot of folks or to get to rather. But you're, uh, you seem to be doing pretty well for the most part. I mean, uh, y- you're very busy. I know that for, for a fact. You mean you're- I am very busy, but you know, I still don't know how I'm going to pay rent for like the next three months. Hell Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <That's>, yes. <laughs> you love to yeah. see it. Yeah. Uh, speaking of being busy, 
on top of, you know, your illustration work, the editorial work, all of that, you're now teaching as well, right? I was teaching before the pandemic, but now since the pandemic said, I've kind of taken a little bit of a step back. Okay. Okay. Because the college I was teaching at really wanted everybody to be in person and- Oof. I have a lot of different complications. And so I was like, that's, I'm going to, it's a no for me. Yeah. Yeah. But I still do workshops when I'm invited to host them or come in a, a sub a class and things like that. But teaching full time, I, I had to put a pause on that. I'm also working on a book, so I don't have oh. the time to do both. Gotcha. Well, that's actually, uh, that's a good segue because I did want to discuss about what you've been working on. And uh, that, there you go. Uh, I know a lot of folks that are huge fans of your work are kind of foaming at the mouth for a, for a new book, <laughs> right? Like they want, yeah. they want that Bianca book. Can you, is it something that you can even really discuss at all in terms of what it will be about? What yeah, you, yeah. Okay, cool. Okay. We had a press release. It's my debut. Um, I'm very excited about it. It's, uh, it's also fiction, which I'm also yeah. deeply excited about because um, I'm tired of talking about myself. <laughs> And I need, I need a break. I need, I need some more things to happen for me to be able to write. And we're kind of at a, at a deadlock right now of, of interesting topics. So it's been nice <laughs> to really pour myself into and in building this world and kind of really taking the time to build like all the different parts that are in this world, even parts that people aren't going to see just to kind of so everything kind of feels tied together. I'm really into movies. In fact, I thought I was going to go into like filmmaking before I went into comics. So I've always been sort of like a storyboarder in mm-hmm. the way I kind of portray ideas. And so, and like back in college, me and my friends used to like make music videos and stuff. And oh, you could probably cool. search search some stuff on YouTube that I made. <laughs> but yeah, it's just, it's just been really fun to kind of just pour myself into this world. And I'm influenced by like, again, Chicago. So like John Hughes, like I've always like, you know, I wasn't cool in high school. Um, I never got invited to parties and stuff. So I was like staying home watching, you know, 16 Candles, like wishing that that was my life. But again, like, didn't see myself in that world. I don't think there's a single John Hughes movie with like a black like female yeah. character at all. No, yeah, um, I don't think so. <laughs> no, I don't think so. And like yeah. the one like person of color character that exists is not so great. <laughs> we won't talk about it any further. <laughs> And what else we got here? But like, again, like, like Uncle Buck, like there's like some stuff that I really appreciate from his work. And Gregoraki is another like big influence on me. Like just sort of like these YA young adult like stories that are just like turned on its head. Oh, and also like John Waters. I love like John Waters movies. So I just kind of just like things that are sort of absurd and growing up. And just, you know, this, I grew up on like the outskirts of like when it's not quite, it's not quite suburbs yet, and it's not quite the city anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of like the family matters area of like South Chicagoland. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I grew up right, right next to a Ford plant. Um, like there was plants and factories and strip clubs and corner stores. Like that's, that was the world that I, I grew up in in high school. And I wanted to create a love letter for being Southside trash. Cause that's what they call us. <laughs> and I wanted to just be like, you know, that's what shaped me. That's what made me who I am. That's what, you know, some of the biggest hustlers are from the hood. And that's what, that's how I became hustlers from growing up in the hood and like not knowing when your next meal is going to come and having to have to figure shit out. Like I wanted to make something for them. And so it's based off of a lot of things. Like it's based off of my friend group in high school and just different people I've met throughout my life. It's based off of my own experiences. And um, yeah, I wanted to give something to teenagers 
that um, is layered. Like it's it's kind of hard to pick one theme that this book's about because I mm-hmm. feel like they're intelligent enough to take nuance and different sort of layered stories. I feel like that's always my favorite type of film because I did a, watched a lot of movies researching this book. And my favorite type of movie is where it's not just an A plot. There's like an A plot, a B plot, you know, all the way to like a D plot and they kind of all tie together in the end. Mm. And so it's just about like black and brown punk kids um, on the South Side, just, you know, driving up to shows and deciding what they're going to do after high school. One of the characters, Gael, they decide not to go to college at all. Um, They go straight to work. They go start working for their uncle's roofing company. Another character, Michelle, she is just going to go to what we used to call Harvard on Halstead, which is like Prairie State College. It's like a state, it's like a community college. Mm-hmm. And um, and then the, the lead character um, gets an opportunity to leave the hood altogether and go to Oberlin. And so she has to decide if that's what she wants to do. And she like has mm-hmm. conflicting feelings and different voices and people like, oh, so you're going to sell out or you're just going to leave us or you think you're better than us, that kind of ideas and all those things. And a lot of things that, you know, people of color and black people in particular have to navigate of like, you know, people on one, especially people from privilege looking at black people, reaching successes and working towards things and having no idea like what they had, what they experienced in their lives to get there. And so like, you know, the main character's name is Ariel. That was the name I was going to name my daughter if I like I had picked at six years old. <laughs> and so I decided to name my lead character that in the book. And yeah, she's just based off of me. Like she's a single mom, got a job in high school. Um, they're all working. Like they're all like really hardworking kids. And um, yeah, I like the, the major plot point I can't discuss because that's just going to tell the whole book. <laughs> Yeah, I got you. That's, that's fair. <laughs> but yeah, it's just like I said, it's just it's following these three kids just hustling and partying and making the most of that last summer before you and your friends from high school kind of grow apart. And um and all those sort of outside things that happen, especially when, you know, you're a kid from a certain background and, you know, like if your parent loses a job, then that means you got to go get one. Yeah. So do you have plans that you can talk about as far as like releasing it? Do you have a publisher in mind or are you self-releasing? It's it's going to be published by Penguin Teen and it's going to be oh, out. Oh, hell yeah. Uh, oh, man. Why can't I remember? Oh, 2023. I'm like confused of what year it is now, but it's going to be out <laughs> in 2023 in uh, yeah. uh, spring because we kind of want it to like come out. While the kids are still in school a little bit, but yeah. like, so it's also yeah. like lines up with like their summer and it's a summer book because I love summer stories. I, it's very romantic in that way because I'm a romantic where, you know, I just find all types of little things just fills me, makes me feel warm. And I just wanted to create that sort of that light bulb memory of like those summers you had when you were young. You're one of those rare summer goths, I feel like. <laughs> yeah, I, I got to recharge my melanin. Fair. That's fair. How far are you in, into this book? Well, actually, right before I hopped on, I just got an email and I was like, damn, uh, because I was on I was on a little break, which is like the nice thing about the published industry. The nice thing and like the awful thing about the published industry is that it moves really slow. It's a dinosaur mm. industry. And so it yeah. moves like a dinosaur. Yeah. So if you send out an email, you're not going to hear back until like two to three weeks at least. <laughs> so I sent out an email. And I just heard back and I was like, no. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I just turned in my thumbnails. I just got notes back on my thumbnails. So I gotta, I gotta look at that. And that usually takes me like a couple days. Cause like, yeah. 
I don't take criticism well because I'm sensitive and I'm I'm a baby and I was the baby <laughs> in my family and so no. <laughs> so I got to look at that. But I'm also just I'm also just really like I want to make sure that people see my vision and because right. I am, you know, a person who is like the first or the second in the room, it can be very nerve wracking making sure that people get my voice and people get my perspective. And, you know, it's not like, well, I never experienced that. So it's not real because that's always my fear. And I've, I've had that fight before. I've had to argue with an editor about how black hair works before and they went they actually went to go find another black person to tell me no. So, Jesus. Like, <laughs> I didn't redraw it, though. I was like, well, too bad. Uh, I'm not changing it. Yeah. So, But they're, they're on board. My editor, she's wonderful. She's also a person of color. And that was like something that I really needed um, in telling the story. I needed someone who was going to share my language and at least share some of the microaggressions and just daily experiences in this, you know, in this country. And she gets it. Um, there's some stuff that every once in a while I might have to break it down for her, but yeah, like they haven't, these kids talk in like African American vernacular English and they haven't fixed my English yet. So mm. that's thumbs up for that. <laughs> Hell yeah. So I know you mentioned that you were just doing the uh, thumbnails. Do you have like a schedule you set for yourself when it comes to like working on art? Like what does that look like your daily process? Like as far as what you're about to do to tackle this book and if it's like a new process or something that you've kind of done with all your work previously? This is new. This is a new process for me because as you both know, and you know, many people who are familiar with my work, my stuff is usually like, you know, 10 panels long. Mm -hmm. Um, if, you know, maybe 20, um, if I'm doing like a longer sort of editorial, like expose on something, but this is 256 pages. <laughs> and so <laughs> it's, you know, again, I'm like very blessed and I'm really grateful because it's given me the chance to just turn off the outside world and just plug myself into this almost every day. It's what I do day in and day out outside of my Six Chicks comic and like whatever sort of side gig I got going on. Like if I'm doing something for Washington Post or Riot Fest or something like that. But um, I work on it every day. They made my schedule for me, which I appreciate because if I was going to do it, it wasn't going to be done for like mm. 10 years. <laughs> but while everybody was like, you know, saying Happy New Year, I was crying because I got to turn in this book <laughs> in 10 months. And so, yeah, as soon like literally as soon as I like we stopped this conversation, I got to go read this email and see what I'm doing tomorrow because I thought I was going to be doing drawings for myself, which I miss. I'll say that I actually do miss drawing for myself and I haven't really had time to do that. And I think it's important to draw for yourself and not everything that you create be connected to a publisher or just to a, like a, to a gig because it helps you push like your art style and just what, what do you like? What are you into? Are you, are you stuck in a, in a style? Are you not growing? Do you need to challenge yourself? Did you ever want to play with this? And so I've been trying to play a little bit before I got these notes, but now playtime's over. <laughs> <laughs> and so as your first long form story, I'd imagine that's a very daunting task. Did when you first yeah. when you first got this approval, what was running through your mind? Because, you know, like you said, you're going from doing uh, single strips or multi panel stories to a 250 page book. That's a that's mm -hmm. a huge gap in terms of content, like um, amount of work that you're actually going to be doing. Yeah. I mean, I knew I've always had it in me. This is this is something I've always wanted to do. And like I said before, like I like have taken screenwriting classes. Like I was, I really thought I was going into filmmaking uh, for a while. So telling a longer story isn't necessarily something I'm, I'm afraid of, but 
just managing the time management yeah. of it all is daunting, especially just, you know, the industry as a whole. I don't believe that the industry gives enough time to artists to draw these books. We really gotta, you know, I, I sleep with a brace on. Like, it's, I'm <laughs> yeah. constantly drawing and, you know, there is, I wish there was more time to create it. Because even now, I'm excited for the world to see what I'm able to make when given more time. Because a lot of the work that is already published, that people have already seen of me, like I was only given like a week or so to yeah. draw that. And so <laughs> I'm like excited for people to see like, this is what I could do in two, three years. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's, it's you know, I'm hoping I got to turn everything by October. And it's just, it's just go. It just, you just gotta go. I mean, I have my routine, you know, I always have my tea in the morning and I just get started. I keep to-do lists. I mean, I have all types of visual things in my office, like calendars and stuff. I don't like to keep a lot of things on my phone because even JB knows this. Like, I'm a terrible texter. I don't check my phone. And partially it's because, like, I have, like, a helicopter parent. And as long as I'm like, not on my phone, then, like, I don't have to constantly talk to my mom all day. And so... Right. <laughs> I just put my phone like in the other room and I was like, oh, I didn't see your text, 400 text mom. Yes, it's a great YouTube video. <laughs> and so, yeah, so I just, I like to keep things visual because it helps me remember and just stay focused and just, I just feel this push. Like I, I have, I have to do this. Like there's so many people who believe in me and look up to me and there's so many people who forge this path for me. I don't take this for granted at all. I don't take this opportunity for granted. This is a miracle, honestly. Like, you know, they always say that your, your ancestors wildest dream. And, you know, whenever me and my brothers, like, you know, always tell each other, you know, whenever we're like, oh, like, I don't feel like doing this. Remember that, you know, our great, great, great grandparents were slaves, you know? So it's just kind of like, well, would you rather be drawing this cartoon or would you rather be picking cotton? You know, it's just like, oh, um, you know what? Let me stop complaining and draw this cartoon. Like, my life's not that hard. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Yeah, a little bit of perspective. A little bit of perspective. Bit. Yeah, yeah. Now, are you uh, drawing this digitally entirely? Like a crazy person, I decided to do my thumbnails on... I went to like one of those school supply stores and bought this dry erase wallpaper and then covered my walls with it <gasps> and then drew my thumbnails. <laughs> what? Um, Like, you know, like that meme from Always Sunny in Philadelphia where he has like yeah, the wall cover. Oh yeah, no, it still oh looks God. like that. If you, if you could <laughs> see into my room, you would see that's what's behind me. <laughs> because I've always wanted to have that experience so i was like let's do it let's go balls out so i did that and then i redrew them digitally cool. um, okay, and then i turned okay. them in so i don't know if i'm gonna i have to do my pencils mm -hmm. next i've been going back and forth if i'm gonna draw them by hand or if i'm gonna draw them digitally i prefer analog like i almost all my comics are drawn by hand mm-hmm but just, again, time, time. Like, there's just never enough time, and I have to consider, like, okay, now if I carve out the time to do this, will I lose time, you know, doing the inks and all this other processes? So I have to right. – sometimes you have to sacrifice the things that you want. And I always use Terry Gilliam as an example of a person who doesn't sacrifice the things that they want. And then you see their films, and you can tell, like, wow, you should have cut that out. This movie's, like, four hours long. <laughs> and so it's like, you sometimes you got to throw out the baby. Sometimes you got to just – you know, yeah. say no to yourself and do the thing that you don't want to do. Yeah. So we'll see. 
But yeah, I'm about to do these pencils and ah, I'm so excited. I'm I'm like making little outfits for them because I want them to be cool and I Hell want yeah. it to be like visually strong and they're punks. So um, I hate myself because I forgot how much clothing punks wear and how many accessories <laughs> oh, yeah. and yeah. everybody has to look different. I can't just throw t-shirts and jeans on folks. I got to put buttons and bullet belts and all types of stuff. And they're in a band. So I have to draw instruments. Oh, I yeah. like yeah, don't understand yeah. why yeah, I yeah, thought yeah, this yeah. was a good idea. But I'm going to know how to draw. I was thinking that exact same thing when, uh, when I was doing that Riot Fest stuff. Uh-huh. I really thought about it. I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> I have to draw a bunch of fucking instruments for both yep. of these stories. Like, fuck. Uh-huh. It's like unavoidable. Yeah. I'm going to know how to draw by the time this is done, though. I'm like, if I can't draw by the time I'm done with this book, then it's hopeless for me. So... <laughs> I'm really excited. Um, and back, like, and they got me good too. Like, I know, like, if you see my work, there's usually minimal backgrounds. Yeah, yeah. And they, uh, they sat me down and said, "Hey, um, this is a kids' book, so we're gonna need some backgrounds." Oh shit! <laughs> oh. All right. You know, the, the kids, the kids, they need, they need more visual language. They can't just, you know, imagine it in the way that adults' brains can just be like, "Oh, I know where this is." But you know, with kids, you kind of have to. You got to spoon feed them a little bit more. Right, right. That's one thing that I actually appreciate about your strips is the absence of a lot of backgrounds. Mm-hmm. I can relate to that. I, I'm looking at your strips. I'm just like, damn, like, that's so smart. Like, <laughs> I don't want to draw oh, fucking yeah. backgrounds either. Uh, <laughs> but you make no. it work. You make it work. And uh, I'm sure there'll oh. be a way to kind of work <laughs> that magic again, too, in this book. Because I, I don't oh, know. I mean, there's a graveyard scene. So I'm oh. like excited to... I made the backgrounds fun for me. I made the backgrounds things I wanted to draw. So I made like a lot of, there's a lot of like lush bedroom scenes where, you know, you have each teenager's like personified bedroom. And like, for me as a teenager, like my bedroom was like my safe space, like especially since that was like pre-social media and like really kind of pre-internet the way we know it now. Like I had to create my bedroom to kind of look like the way Pinterest or Instagram looks. So I made each teenager have like an iconic bedroom with like stuff everywhere. And Mm -hmm. that's cool. There's a goth club scene. There's a couple of like punk show scenes. Yeah. So, (laughs) and there's a lot of like, there's a lot of Chicago references in it too. I threw a reference to um, Punkin Donuts, which I'm not sure if either of you you're familiar with it, but no. Punkin' Donuts was um, the corner of Belmont and Clark. There used to be a Dunkin' Donuts there that got tore down in 2015 for a Target. But back uh. in the day, punks, like myself, used to travel all the way to that corner of Belmont and Clark to just hang out. And it was sort of like a club that was like all ages. You didn't have to, you know, if you couldn't get into the clubs and stuff at the time, you would just go hang out at this Dunkin' Donuts that was open like 24 hours and you get to meet all types of weirdos. So I like got to include like little Chicago punk history in there. And there's going to be like a zine at the end of the book that's going to like explain a lot of the stuff to the kids. Nice. Will that be like a, like a separate piece that's wedged in the book or in like a pocket or how's that gonna work it's just like the back matter but we're gonna design Ah, it to look like one of the one of the characters fatima is like the zinester in the friend group and they're always making zines and so you get to see her zine at the end of the book oh that's cool yeah that's a nice touch i like that yeah now before we get into questions i did want to touch on one more thing yeah now me and cam we are admittedly lapsed fans now uh and i don't know if you've been keeping up at all but uh, i know for a good amount of time, at least, you were into pro wrestling. Oh, <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> are are you still into it or is it just one of those things where like you're just too busy and it's just kind of passed you by? I got too busy. I was really into it for the for the community aspect of it and you know, the last couple of years have just kind of ruined all the the group right. activities. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh yeah, cuz I I remember oh god, that was like it was I know it was after a an event. I, I think it was, it might have been cake. Uh, yeah. Where we all went to a, a mutual friend's house and watched Wrestle Kingdom. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't remember which one. I think it might have been ten or eleven. Uh uh-huh. But it was. I mean, for those that don't know, Wrestle Kingdom is like a three plus hour show. Uh, yeah, then we it's got not pizza. You just, yeah. yeah, but there was like no AC, so it was like a billion degrees. It was the hottest day of the year, so it was probably cake. Yeah. If it was like so yes. unreasonably hot, it was probably yes. Cake. That makes sense then. Yeah, so it's dead summer Chicago, uh, not ideal time to be uh, watching a three hour plus wrestling show inside uh, an <laughs> un <laughs> an un air conditioned apartment. Uh-uh. But yeah, I, I mean, uh, you said that there was that community element to it. I feel like during that time. Uh, so many more people were getting into pro wrestling. And I know me and Kama talked about this. We actually might have talked about this during the last episode, or at least one of the bonus episodes. I can't remember. But there was a period where like a lot more people were getting into not just wrestling, like not just WWE, but like Japanese pro wrestling. Yeah. And actively like getting into it and watching it and like knowing who their favorite wrestler is and et cetera. Uh, do you miss any of that? Oh, yeah. I mean, like, I miss anything that gives us the opportunity to kind of just, like, get nerdy about something and kind of learn, like, not only learn all, like, the characters and the storylines, but also just kind of understand how it's made. Like, I was always kind of, like, the person who also, like, liked to watch, like, training and things like that. Mm -hmm. Because I imagine that one day I'll exercise. I won't. But I just, I just love just kind of just seeing these people push their bodies to create these characters and to tell these stories, especially like all like the, the women characters. Like I have the shirt. I still have the shirt that you made. I think it's of, um, Naomi. Wait, am I wrong here? Uh, let me think. That might've been Bull Nakano. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Uh, okay. Yes, yes, yes. Sorry. Yes. Naomi, yes. sorry. Thinking of Metal, <laughs> Naomi, thinking yeah. of metal Gear. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Wrong fandom. But yeah, I was just wearing that the other day and like just thinking about like I bought all your stuff. Like I still have like your pens and all these things. Like, I don't know. It was a very like it also just kind of speaks to a different time too, because like I feel like I was into it more <laughs> pre Trump. Um and I feel like post Trump ruined like a lot of things that I was into where like a lot of people that I wouldn't necessarily hang out with started to get into something and I was like, oh, I'm out. Uh, I'm yeah. the only black person in the room now. I'm 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 done. I still dip in every once in a while. Like I like, you know, there's this like some of like the local stuff, like really like small local wrestling. Um but yeah. Like it just uh, it just makes me nervous. Like, I just, I don't know. I don't want to know. Like, I don't want it to though. get ruined for me. I feel like so many things got soured over the past couple of years that I just like, I wanted just to keep it as this sort of moment we all had together. And <laughs> yeah, that's it. Like, sort of like the same with like, you know, I was really into WWE when I was a kid. And, you know, people are always telling me like, what this wrestler said, or what this wrestler turned out to be. And I'm just like, oh, I know, like, don't, worship anybody <laughs> but i also just like let, let my child self have this person they used to look up to for sure i don't think anybody should get into pro wrestling uh if they're the types that want to 
look into sort of the backstage of it all in terms uh. of like you know what their actual political beliefs are because i mean fuck with pro especially in america pro wrestling is not the place to do that let me tell you no. what that's <laughs> you don't want to do that and don't get me wrong there's like rare instances where that's not the case but it's so few and far between that it's like w w what's the point you know like i think maybe Sami Zayn is like a good example of that yeah he's a he's a you know wwe guy but he's like pretty far left in yeah. terms of like the grand scheme <laughs> of pro wrestling culture i would say but yeah like i said few and far between it's not i mean <laughs> i for that. i almost kind of feel like it's gonna have to be me that writes the story but i just the last time i went to a show it was a wwe what was it was it smackdown or was it monday night raw no, I think it was Payback. Um, I went to a Payback show. Oh, okay. And um, I think this was in 2016, but it was 2016 pre-Trump era. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it was just being in the room. Um, I was just like, I don't think I'm going to do this again. Um, but I definitely... <laughs> I've always kind of wanted to do a story about just sort of that world and the WWE wrestling world and like TV evangelism and kind of how those two things sort of intertwine. Because oh. I went to uh, the type of church that would have like wrestlers come and no like shit. wrestle for Jesus. Hell yeah. <laughs> because, you know, I, I went to like a mega church in like the 80s and the 90s and fun, fun times. And I just, I, there's a lot of beats of talking and there's a lot of different um, story building that's kind of mm -hmm. done the same way in like these televangelist churches. Yeah. And I, I, I'm really fascinated with that aspect. And it's almost kind of one of the reasons why I've always liked being in the room for wrestling shows because I like to observe it. And there used to be a time where I could observe it and feel more comfortable. But lately with, again, like, you know, my comic got censored and things like that like lately right. people are becoming the more fascist people are becoming more aggressive and i can't necessarily just like slip in the room and you know them just tell me that i'm one of the good ones like now they want to get my face <laughs> right yeah that's 100 percent fair going to a, a pro wrestling show it's you know i i try to tell folks if you have a wrestling show coming near to you definitely go and try it but uh it comes with risks <laughs> there's gonna be a very specific type of person there yeah but, uh, you know, uh, especially with Chicago, at least, I can't, you know, speak on the, the sort of smaller uh, shows that would happen on the peripherals, because, you know, they would market it as, quote unquote, in Chicago, but we both know that it's not Chicago. Like this, yeah, like that, <laughs> Berwyn is not Chicago. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry, <laughs> you can't convince me. But yeah, like in Chicago, I feel like it wasn't as tense, at least from what I observed, uh, don't get me wrong, I did see a lot of like weird scumbags, don't, don't, you know, like that, <laughs> fucking pro wrestling, you're going to see Come that. On. <laughs> right. But uh, with, in with the Chicago, suburbs. like whenever yeah. <laughs> there was a show at in Logan Square uh, at the Logan Auditorium, I would say that is like one of those few places you could go to and like more than likely not have to run in or deal with some sketchy ass guy. Yeah. You know, or crowd or whatever. And everybody just kind of minds their business or you'll find like uh, these like segments of the crowd that are clearly kind of like, you know, tapping on the nose like you, I got you, you know, kind of deal. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. And I feel like in those places, people are excited to see different faces in the room yes, um, and yes. want to share it, want to share it with you. But then if you're like driving out to, you know, Hammond, Indiana. Oh, no. Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> That's a no-go. Probably not. <laughs> yeah. I think uh, like the last uh, WWE show I went to was in Gary, Indiana. 
Oh, nice. Um, um, <laughs> our friend, you might know Melissa before they moved. Yeah. But yeah, uh, they invited me with a couple of other uh, friends of theirs, uh, and we went out uh, to that show. And uh, yeah, that was a very interesting experience. Because uh, one, <laughs> I'd never been to Cary, Indiana. And two, uh, I'd never been to like a house show like that, or at least hadn't been in a very, very long time. Yeah. And it was a very eye-opening experience, that's for sure. I was just looking at pictures from one in Indiana like a couple of days ago, and they were like, wasn't a mask in sight? And I was oh, like, no. uh, like, no. <laughs> uh, no. Yeah, no. Nah. Uh, that's uh that's uh, yeah that's definitely another thing you're not going to see too many masks uh-uh. that's for sure <laughs> so if you want to get covid hey go to a wwe event there you Fucking go, go yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right so um we're going to get into some questions here that were submitted from our listeners as always if you want to participate in the show you can dm us on our instagram or twitter accounts at gutter boys pod or write into the show at gutter boys podcast at gmail.com First question comes in from Mitchell D. Coleman on Instagram. Uh, He asks, Bianca, what are some of your influences? I think we already addressed a lot of that. Were there any other influences that you wanted to touch on that maybe uh, we didn't get to cover? Oh, sure. I really love um, my brain has died. Oh, there it is. Um, (laughs) Phoebe Gleckner. Um is a definitely a big influence for me. And I, I actually hope that people can pick up on some Phoebe Gleckner influences on my latest book, which is called Punk Rock Karaoke. My God, name drop. Oh, there it yeah. is. Yeah, I was going to say, we never got the title. <laughs> we never got the title. <laughs> yeah. I was like rehearsing on the way to the grocery store how I'm going to talk about this book without giving it away. But it's called Punk Rock Karaoke. And yeah, Phoebe Gleckner is a big influence and so is Julie Doucet. Hell or yeah. set. I'm not really sure how to say it. I say do say, but I could be wrong. Yeah. You're both so right. I'm, I'm, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and Emile Ferris, like I'm influenced by a lot of, you know, different female cartoonists who are really good at talking about scumbags. And, you know, there's a big scumbag character in Punk Rock Karaoke. And, you know, I love scumbags, which is why, you know, I was into wrestling for so long. And yeah, just ones who can really get to the heart of it and kind of talk about these abusive relationships and, you know, an abuse of power. I just, I just love that. And just, it's therapeutic reading their work. It's like, you know, it, it feel, makes you feel less alone in these situations. And like, I love reading work by, you know, other women of color and I love reading work by other black women in general, but it always gets to my heart if I can read something that goes beyond just my identity politics and what I check in a box and really just gets down to the core of my human experience. Yeah. Uh, people who can just portray just the human experience in their work. I just, I love that shit. Hell yeah. So second question, Nate Garcia wrote in, what did you have for breakfast today? Be honest. Um, I haven't eaten today. Damn. There you go. I just had this LaCroix, baby. <laughs> I'm not, I don't eat. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, Bianca, I just come watched on. Um, come a Joan Didion documentary and I just saw how she, she lived off of nuts and Coca-Cola and I was like, yes, queen, because I don't. <laughs> I don't eat. And my mom's the same way. I don't know why. It almost kind of feels like I have to like choose. Um, and I'm not trying to teach people to have bad practices. Please eat and don't be like me. <laughs> but yeah, I just, I struggle eating. Um, and that's, uh, and this is not a therapy podcast. So we're not going to get into that. <laughs> Fuck. All right. From the Discord, we have Josue Cruz. They asked, you've spoken about separating oneself from the autobiocomic self. Can you tell us about how you achieve that and why it's important? Oh, man. 
where I, I was just thinking about this the other day. You know, I, I was thinking about David Bowie. I was listening to um, Black Star for the first time today because I haven't had a chance to like really sit down and listen to it. And I didn't want to admit that David Bowie was dead because he was kind of like this fictional father figure to me. And I was really distraught when he passed away. And so today I decided to like listen to the Black Star album. And I've been listening to like his albums all the way through lately. And I was just kind of thinking about there's David Bowie and there's David Jones. And David Jones is, you know, the man that was, you know, married to Iman. He had a son. He had a daughter. You know, he did all those things. He took care of his family. He lived quite a private life. We don't really know too much about David Bowie's life, day-to-day life, and the way that we see celebrities today, like, you know, a Kardashian you know, where we kind of know, we know what she had for breakfast today, you know? Yeah, do you think if Bowie was still around, he would have a TikTok account? Uh, maybe, but if even if he did, it would still be, like, weird stuff. It probably wouldn't be, like, what he ate. Um, <laughs> it'd probably be, like, process and, you know, some throwbacks from his heyday. But, yeah, it's just kind of just, like, separating those two people. And Bianca Yunis is, you know, the cartoonist that, you know, tells these stories. And I kind of limit what I share, I kind of limit the things that I talk about. I don't really go into too much about different relationships and romantic things. Like, I kind of keep that out. And I think also because I don't have the same sort of fearlessness that some some cartoonists have where they can just, just put all their business out there and talk about every person they've met in their life. And I'm like, do those people not come for you later? Like, do they not get upset that you wrote this? Do you not get, like, you know, there's defamation suits now people are, are putting out over comics. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, you know, I just try to I try to just limit to those things and those topics and it also kind of helps me like stay in, in, a, in a line it kind of helps me like not feel like I'm going too all over the place or just like wow Bianca did this comic about this thing and then this thing and then this thing and it kind of doesn't all feel cohesive and it just gives me sort of a, a cohesiveness so I try to stay on the topics of music or my blackness trying to think of some other things like and these things can overlap so with music and blackness like i'll do a comic about a black musician or i'll do a comic about my journey of finding punk rock on the south side of chicago you know like it doesn't necessarily have to limit the stories that i tell but it just makes my art more cohesive and i think cohesiveness is important to any artist no matter what medium you're going into but another thing that I do, and I talk to, I tell this to my students as well, is if there's something that happens to me in real life, and I'm like really passionate about it, and I want to write a comic about it, I take a beat and like I, l- I let myself sit with it, and if I'm st- if I still need to talk about it, I'll write about it. And if it's still one of those things that's really important to share, then it doesn't really matter how long time has passed since this thing has happened. It'll still be an important story. But other times I've, I mean, even I'm fallible. I'm not perfect. I've made mistakes. I've put work out there that I'm just like, oh, I don't know. Like, I I actually not that mad anymore. And you learn from that, you know? You really learn from just falling on your face. And, like, sometimes people bring stuff up to me of, like, comics I drew years ago, and they're just like, oh, my God, I, like, so agree with you. And my thoughts on some issues that I've talked about have grown or become more complicated. But I think that you can't control your audience. You can't control how people perceive you. And... I think it's important for our audience members who are looking at artwork to give the artist the opportunity to grow and give the op- artist the opportunity to change their beliefs over time because we're, we're human beings. And so we're gonna, you're not gonna have the same beliefs you had at six years old. 
Definitely. You know, yeah, totally. I actually do really appreciate the stories that you have about uh, black musicians and also specifically about blacks in punk history. Uh, I think that uh-huh. stuff is really interesting and I don't think it's too much coverage. I feel like uh, bringing up the fact that, you know, black culture very much exists in punk history wasn't really a thing that was discussed often until, uh, I don't know, within the last like 10 years after uh, that yeah. the, the Detroit band Death was rediscovered. And then suddenly more and more people realized, oh, yeah, there were black people in the punk scene like that was a thing yeah well i mean i think that's true to almost any american or western driven art collective or movement is the only stuff that we remember are all the white guys and their friends and what they thought was cool and what they thought was great and what they thought was important for us to remember and it wasn't that we weren't there it was just that we weren't seen as important to remember in the same way that you know these, this group of white dudes thought, and we can see that in action today. I mean, we can see that in you know, the, the way that many people of color have pushed back in different comic shows about how it often looks like a bunch of white dudes and their friends, yeah. which are a bunch of other white dudes. And it's just like, there are other black cartoonists, even beyond myself. Um, I know that I get put on this pedestal. It's like, oh my God, Bianca, you're the only one. And it's like, it's not the case at all. It's just, I'm the one that pretty much white comics culture has allowed me into the room. But there's so many more of us. Yeah, no, for sure. All righty. Last question comes from friend of the show, previous guest, another Chicago-based cartoonist, Caroline Cash. Uh, Caroline wrote in and said, Bianca, incredibly excited about your upcoming graphic novel. Your characters are super expressive, and this will undoubtedly translate well to a young adult graphic novel. What are some ways living in Chicago has impacted the storyline? In parentheses, it's going to be set in Chicago, right? And what are some influences (laughs) for the story? Also, are the characters going to go to the alley? Yes, they are going to go to the, uh, again, as I mentioned before, in uh, the Pumpkin Donuts parking lot, that's also used to be the alley parking lot. The alley has moved a couple times um, over the years. It's closed, it's reopened. But for those who aren't Chicago natives, or aren't familiar with the alley, is the alley was like Hot Topic, but like an authentic one. Oh, okay. And it's like a, an alternative clothing store. In fact, my mom used to make clothes for them in the 80s. Oh, shit. Because my parents were like club kids before. No kidding. Um, they got saved. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, it's there's a lot of different um, Chicago influences, a lot of punk, Chicago punk history. I'm a history nerd. You know, I feel like if I didn't go into comics, I probably would have became like an anthropologist or something because I just love studying people hmm. and just small little stories that kind of get forgotten. So yeah, I mean, it's all about the entire experience of folks coming all over. Like one of the greatest things about the Chicago punk scene is that it's not limited to Chicago. You already know somebody's coming from Lansing. You know somebody's coming from Grand Rapids. People are coming from Gary. People are coming from Hammond. People are coming from Rockford, Joliet, Kenosha, Milwaukee. Like it encapsulates that whole area because Chicago's the hub for all of that. And I just want to share that madness. I always love movies that like took place in like a day and it just started off like, as a normal day and things just progressively get worse and more <laughs> colorful. And I hope that I can like portray that as something that kind of starts off sort of, you know, oh, it's just, you know, a regular day and then kind of just pushes you into this world. And I want to be able to stay true to the Chicago punk scene that has raised me because I've had a lot of strange babysitters, you know, with my parents being club kids. (laughs) But then I also want to not gatekeep it 
from the next generation. And I want them to be as excited about their local punk scene, not just like listening to whatever Billboard has said is the top 40 punk artist, because that's not real. You want to pay attention to what's going on in your backyard. And I hope that this book inspires kids to rise up and do some grassroots stuff in their own neighborhood. And uh, yeah, I mean, like, I feel like I've answered a lot of Caroline's questions before. Hi. Hi, Caroline. (laughs) But I know we got to go to Rainbow soon. And we will when the pandemic ends. Caroline loves that place. (laughs) But yeah, it's just, I answered a lot of these questions before, but yeah, I just, it's such a love letter. It's such a love letter to this place. I mean, I lived in New York and I moved back because I love my cornfields. I love my steel (laughs) meals. I love my cheese. Just, I love the Midwest, you know, it's the heart of this place. And um, yeah, it's just, there's a lot of that. There's bartenders with mullets and mustaches. Like there's everything. There's all of it. You know, I don't, (laughs) like one of my favorite lines in the book is they're going to perform at the summer like art fair like it's not even like a real thing it's like you know the, all the summer fairs that happen in Chicago right <laughs> and <laughs> and they're like not looking forward to it except like the lead singer is like you know really pushing them for it and like you know one of the characters is just like they're just gonna ask for Steely Dan covers like they're not even gonna hell yeah the only <laughs> black musician they know is Slash so oh, and, and, and Thin Lizzy yeah. so um, so there's a lot of that there's a lot of like you know the bears kind of chicago in it Uh and then like modern chicago very cool all right well before we get out of here today where can people find you online keep up with you and so forth i'm on all the things um instagram uh oh i forgot there's new things now so maybe i'm not i'm on instagram and twitter um those are the only places you'll find me i'm not really doing the tiktoks because i don't have the time Mm -hmm. and i'm old and i'm fine being old (laughs) so instagram and twitter everything's at bianca unis you can also like i have a website trying to think of but i mean like i don't tweet as much anymore i used to tweet more but if i'm ever tweeting a lot it either means i'm either depressed or waiting back for notes and (laughs) instagram yeah come check things out i i wish i could share more art on there but a lot of it's nda Mm. but my stories are full of shit posts if you're into that kind of thing. Hell yeah. And um, yeah, let's let's hang out. I'm always full of music wrecks and movie wrecks and all that kind of shit. Very cool. Very cool. All right. Well, Bianca, thank you so much for uh, coming on the show. Thanks for, yeah, for having sure. me. We've been working on this for only half a year. <laughs> <laughs> hey, if anything's worth doing, you know, yeah. you, you just, it works itself out eventually. Hey, start the new year off right. Exactly. Exactly. And uh, yeah, eventually we will cross paths again. I do yeah. very much uh, miss Chicago and, and seeing folks like yourself and uh, all the good comic folks in the greatest city in the country, uh, Chicago. Yeah, I mean, like I'm still in shock. I didn't. Even, I don't know why I didn't know you moved to Iowa, and it just didn't. Even. I, you know, I don't even think the topic ever really came up. I mean, a lot of people left during the pandemic, so it's just kind of about keeping up. But boohoo. Yeah, I mean, th- to be fair, Caroline didn't even know I moved until I think she overheard. Uh, no, actually, it was at the at the cabin yeah. trip. The cabin, yeah, yeah. she was like, "Wait, you don't even <laughs> live in Chicago? <laughs> you don't even go here anymore? <laughs> yeah, why are you even here? <laughs> why are you even come? <laughs> Fucking Caroline. Oh, All right, well, uh, that's it, folks. Thanks so much for listening, and as usual, oh, stay gutter.